This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. If you're joining us online uh, on television or right here in the sanctuary, we're so very glad you decided to join us for Palm Sunday. We've been spending our Lent looking at all the stories in Scripture where God has encounters with people around trees, and there is a lot of them. And we see that God encounters people around these trees, impacting that person in their present and their families for generations to come. One of the coolest stories in Scripture comes from the very first chapter of the book of Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms is a collection of songs and poetry and prayers that people sang and prayed, and they told God exactly what they were feeling at that given moment. Whatever they were thinking and praying and feeling, they sent it up to God. From joy and peace and celebration to grief and sorrow and lament. It's exactly the way we're supposed to pray. However we're praying, be honest. Talk to God about it. That is what prayer is. If you ever find yourself in a place that you don't have the words to pray, go to the Psalms. They can pray for us in powerful ways. If you ever need to find the book of Psalms, all you have to do is set your Bible up on the spine, open it to the halfway spot, odds are you're going to land in the book of Psalms. In the very first chapter, what do we find in the book of Psalm? But of course, a tree. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. We are called to dig ourselves deep into the ways of God, just like trees and their roots planted along a river. God is the river of life, and we plant ourselves right next to God, finding hope and purpose and guidance as we seek to live into God's ways. We meditate on Scripture day and night. We find ourselves shaped to be more like Jesus the more time we spend doing it. We can bring life to so many people as we stay connected to God. We can bring life just like trees bring life into our world. Trees bring life and vitality. Wherever you find trees, you're going to find life right next to it. Now, in the country of Ethiopia, nearly all of Ethiopia's old-growth forests have disappeared. And they've disappeared due to the growth of agriculture. So one group decided to protect those trees and the biodiversity with it. Wherever you see a grove of trees in Ethiopia, at the center of this grove of trees, you're also going to find a church. Watch this. In Ethiopian Orthodox teaching, a church, to be a church, should be enveloped by a forest. It should resemble the Garden of Eden. It is a church who has protected this forest and who has safeguarded them from destruction. It's only because of the patronage and the blessing of the church these forests have survived. Church forests are always in my childhood memory. I used to go with my family for Sunday mass, for holidays. We have been always told that God gives mercy when you pray here. 
So the spiritual connectivity is so strong. تازه بیش از قاطوش لی، یک زیاد خیال آل، یک زیاد اگر، یک زیاد برکت آل. سعی آن دیت انصافی تکلیس او به تو زاویه شکوتر دیمون تلم نلده تالشیلان. Two lines I love in that. In order for a church to be a church, it needs to be surrounded by trees. And I love the line from the priest: When a person plants a tree, every time that tree moves, the tree prays for the person to live longer. Beautifully poetic, and we also know that's literally true. The tree literally gives oxygen, sequesters carbon, holds the soil together, holds moisture, offers shade, allows birds and insects and mammals to live in its branches. Trees bring life and vitality. So should we, friends. So should the church and Christians. We should bring life and vitality to others. In the world, in all of our words, our actions, thoughts, and deeds, we should bring life to everyone we meet. I love the idea of surrounding every church with a forest, echoing back to that very first Garden of Eden. Now, the Ethiopian church is bringing trees back to their country. They are bringing hope and life in the name of Jesus, and as well as showing us one of the best ways to live in the world by planting trees. A Chinese proverb says, "The best time to plant a tree." Was 20 years ago. The second best time today. The, the scenes over Ethiopia reminded me of driving over the plains of North Dakota. I was driving west on I-94 once, and I remember seeing a grove of trees approaching. And my passenger goes, "Oh, look! There's a forest." I replied, "No, that's Tappan. That's that's a town. That's Tappan." We find trees in our part of the world a little similar to Ethiopia. Wherever there is trees, there is a town. There's people. There's life. There's a farm. There's livestock. Trees bring life and vitality. Andy, one of our other pastors, found TreePeople.org this week, and they listed 22 benefits of trees. Now, some of those benefits you would expect. They combat climate change. They give us food. They give us wood. They combat soil erosion. But there's all kinds of other unexpected benefits as well. Trees help us to heal our bodies. When we humans are injured, a view of trees, either from our hospital room or from our house, they help us to recover faster. We have less complications from recovery when we have a view of trees. What explains that? Trees help us to heal faster. Children that have ADHD, that have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, they have less symptoms when they see and are around trees. Trees also reduce the incidence of violence in our lives, outside the home, inside the home. If there are trees around, trees reduce the acts of harm we perpetrate against each other. Not only that, trees can bring diverse groups of people together. When every other method is proven futile, put a group of people around trees together, and apparently they get along better. That's incredibly unexpected. There are so many ways trees help us out that I certainly would never have connected. Now, on that list of 22 ways, there were a few missing. We also plant trees in honor of loved ones, in honor of people that have passed away. At the university I previously worked at, a current student died in his dorm room suddenly one night. He passed away. So to honor that student's memory, they planted a tree on the campus to mark him, to remember him, to perform an act of life, to perform an act of hope, even in the midst of death. 
That is a Christian action. That is an Easter action if I've ever heard it. Life in the midst of death. And of course today, Palm Sunday, we witness another way trees honor people. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that humble donkey, the people gathered palm branches like you received and they celebrated his arrival. The Messiah, the Savior, has finally come. Finally, Rome will get kicked out of Israel. Jesus will reign on earth. Hosanna in the highest. Peace will now come to Israel. Is that what happened? No, it did not. In a short five days, the people go from Hosanna to crucify him. Rome remains in power. Israel is still an occupied nation. And Jesus is brutally murdered. We also see another use for a tree that was not on the website Andy discovered. Instead of bringing life, God's intention and plan for trees, humans cut down the tree, made planks from it, put it in the form of a cross, and nailed people to it until they died. The Romans perfected this beautiful, <laughs> this brutal, painful, torturous device called crucifixion. The cross is an ancient electric chair, friends. It is state-sponsored execution. They use this tree, a tool made to provide hope and life and vitality to everyone, as an instrument of death. It is no accident that God in Jesus, the tree of life, dies on a dead tree for all of us, transforming the cross forever. Now, whenever we see the cross, we don't see death. We see hope, second chances, life from death, resurrection. Jesus did that when he died for us. Now, Peter, one of the first disciples of Jesus, in his short little letter in your Bibles, puts it like this. Jesus. Jesus, he carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Jesus, the sinless one, took on all of our mistakes, all our shortcomings, our sins on that dead tree, and erased them all. They are gone. We now have the power through the Holy Spirit to live lives today, to move away from sin to holiness, from brokenness to love in every single one of our words, thoughts, and actions. Jesus took a tree meant for death and transformed it to be the symbol for life from death for all humanity. This Holy Week... We pastors have a challenge for you. And we want you to read Luke chapters 22 and 23. Just two chapters. It is the account of the crucifixion, of Jesus' death for us. Now in this account, you're going to see that even on his way to death, Jesus cannot help but bring life to everyone he encounters. He cannot stop healing. Even through his pain and suffering and wounds, he cannot stop healing. By his wounds, we are healed. That is simply who he is. This week, it reminded me of this scene. Felix is a video game character, and he fixes everything he touches. No matter what he does, he just fixes it. He cannot help himself. He is currently stuck in prison, trying to get out, and this is what happens. Watch this. Hello? Hello? Somebody, anybody, please let me out. What's he saying? What's he saying? I'm gonna wreck it. Oh, why do I fix everything I touch? Oh. 
I love Felix. Felix cannot help but fix everything he touches because that's what he does. That's who he is. Friends, Jesus cannot help but heal even in his death because that is who he is. Jesus brings life. That is what he does. You're welcome to follow along this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapters 22 and 23. You can follow along in your own Bible, on your favorite device, or on the screen with me. You know, there are three people that Jesus encounters in the crucifixion on his way to death that they are forever changed because they encountered Christ and the cross. They encountered Jesus in this dead tree. And they have some things to teach us today. Do any of these three gentlemen resonate with you? Do they connect with you? The first encounter is in Luke 23, 26. So as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now Simon, the man from northern Africa, didn't seem to be a part of this at all. Jesus is carrying his cross to the place where he's going to be crucified and killed. Simon, perhaps going about his normal daily activities or whatever he was going to do today, decides to walk over and see what this crowd is up to. Now, depending on your perspective, he's either in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the absolute worst time. He, car- he takes Jesus' burden. He, for a time, carries the very cross that's going to be the salvation for everybody who chooses to follow Jesus. Now, this encounter, albeit brief, it changes Simon forever. Tradition has it that Simon's family became Christians after this. By his wounds, Simon and his whole family is healed. In the book of Acts, you can read about a man named Rufus, and Rufus is the son of Simon from Cyrene. This brief encounter changes the entire trajectory of Simon and his whole family. We see here, friends, that the briefest of encounters are incredibly important. The briefest encounters are important. As Christians, in all our interactions, we're called to love and kindness, forgiveness, and gentleness. Now, in the cashier that is short and curt and rude, we're called to gentleness. In the driver who cuts us off and has seemingly forgotten how to drive, we're called to forgiveness. The briefest encounter with someone matters. It matters because everyone is made in the image of God, every single human being. It matters because everyone is worthy to be loved for and cared for. We have no idea. We have absolutely no idea how one kind act, how one seemingly insignificant part of our day could be the act that leads someone to Jesus. You know, we talk in church about helping people cross the line, about praying to accept Jesus. That moment you weren't a Christian before, now you prayed the prayer, now you're a Christian. That is a very important moment. But it takes so many encounters. It takes so many moments of love and kindness and care from other Christians before that happens. For the majority of people, it's a series of connections and interactions before they're going to say, yes, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Your kind encounter, not much a thought in your day at all, could absolutely be part of the chain that leads someone to Christ. The briefest of encounters is important. My senior year in college, the homecoming court was announced, and myself and my friends were floored. We all were voted into the homecoming court. We were voted in by our peers. And this made absolutely no sense. 
We were not athletic. We were not popular. We were involved in campus ministry. And I love Star Trek for Pete's sake. That's the very definition of something that's not popular. How on earth does this happen? There needed to be a recount. Now at the end, my wife's roommate ended up winning along with a popular football player. That made sense. They were popular, both popular, well-liked, athletes, well-deserving. So we came to learn later down the way that a number of freshmen and sophomores voted for us because they saw us seniors as kind and compassionate and loving. And they knew our names because of these various groups we were a part of. We had the briefest of interactions with people and it made a huge difference. Friends, do not discount the power, the holiness of a simple kind and a simple loving act that you meet with someone with this week. It could absolutely change their world. It could absolutely change their world, even to be the difference between life and death. We see the briefest of encounters is important in Jesus, the tree of life's journey to death. Second, we move to Jesus dying on the cross between two thieves. Now, if you need any more evidence of just how powerful this theme of trees are in the scripture, Jesus says to women grieving in verse 31, depending upon your translation, if these things are done to me, the living tree, what will happen to you, the dry tree? We didn't make it up. Jesus himself says he is the tree of life for every single one of us. Jesus was crucified between two thieves, two criminals. At one moment, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. This criminal is not kind to the end of his life. He has no humility at all while he is dying. He joins in the mocking that the Roman soldiers are doing towards Jesus, the king of the Jews. So the sign says above Jesus' head. Now the other thief, the other thief has a completely different attitude. The other criminal protested, don't you fear God even if you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This criminal has a fear. He has a respect for God at the end of his life. He might have heard Jesus just pray, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. His spiritual blinders fell off. He realizes this is the consequence of his actions, and Jesus did nothing to deserve the punishment he has received. Then he asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Is this a deathbed conversion? Or is he simply throwing a Hail Mary just in case Jesus might be just who he says he is? You know, maybe. But judging from his actions, his attitude, in this short little snippet we get, this short little picture, I think this is an actual conversion, an actual crossing the line. He doesn't know the ins and outs of Jesus, but decides to side with him anyway. This man likely knows nothing about scripture, nothing about theology, nothing about creeds. He's not joined a church. He's not been baptized. He has zero chance. He has zero chance to clean up his life. At some simple level, though, he has caught the vision of Jesus' kingdom, and he says, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Is that going to be enough? Jesus replies, absolutely not. 
You're receiving the consequences for your actions, the choices you have made. I will not remember you. You are not worth it. Of course not. The one who cannot stop healing, even on the cross, Jesus says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, this very day, you will join me in heaven where there will be no more pain or suffering or tears or death ever again. His little bit of faith was absolutely enough. His little bit of faith was absolutely enough. This is the verse among others that has me, a Methodist, not seeing any evidence for purgatory, a waiting room after death. It is very clear that today, this criminal goes to paradise. By Jesus' wounds, the thief is healed. We see it is never too late. It is never too late to turn to Jesus. With the tiniest bit of faith, you don't need much at all. Just a tiny willingness that Jesus might just be exactly who he says he is. With just the tiniest bit of faith, you can begin a journey that sees you healed and redeemed and have purpose and hope like you've never experienced before. Maybe we have a lost loved one who's wandered away from the faith or who has never taken a serious look at Jesus ever. The thief on the cross gives us hope. It is never too late. It is never too late for any that we love. Keep praying. Maybe it's our own life that feels out of control and hopeless. No, it's only a season. Turn to Jesus. Turn to the church. Let us help you and show you the way to hope and healing and wholeness. By Jesus' wounds, Simon is healed. The briefest of encounters matter. By his wounds, the thief is healed. It is never too late for any of us. Some people might respond, but you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You have no clue. I could never be forgiven. And that takes us to the third and final encounter with Jesus on the cross and the dead tree. We meet a Roman centurion. We don't know exactly what he did, but he helped to murder Jesus. He might have given him the wine on the cross. He might have stood guard. He might have gambled for his clothes or hammered the nails in or pierced his side. Whatever the case, he is complicit in the death of Jesus of Nazareth. After witnessing Jesus' death and darkness falling across the land, the officer is changed. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. Other translations and other gospels say, surely this man is the son of God. Even in Jesus' death, even in his death, Jesus cannot stop but healing. Here we find a Roman officer worshiping God as the result of all he has seen and experienced. No sin, no brokenness, no mistake is too great. This man recognized he was wronged and he was changed as a result of his encounter with Jesus in this case, his death. There is nothing so great that we cannot return to Jesus. There is no brokenness too great, no act too great. We cannot return to Christ. There is no sin too great. We cannot return to Jesus. If a man complicit in Jesus' murder can be changed by him, worshiping God, there is nothing. There is absolutely nothing stopping us from turning to Jesus either. By Jesus' wounds... The Roman officer is healed. No sin is too great. By his wounds, the thief is healed. It is never too late. By his wounds, 
Simon is healed. Brief encounters matter. These three men are the reason Jesus died. As a matter of fact, all humanity, every human is the reason Jesus died. Back in the original garden, the Garden of Eden, the one the Ethiopian churches plant trees for to remind themselves of, sin and brokenness and pain and death enter the world because a choice is made involving a tree. We deserve death for sin in our lives and in the world. Instead, Jesus takes our place. Now Jesus, the one without sin, the tree of life, dies on a dead tree for all of us. Paul, the first century church planter, put it like this. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the tree, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Until his final breath, Jesus brought healing, impacting people and families for eternity. Because Jesus was willing to die for us, we've been given full access to God. It started as a joyous celebration on Palm Sunday with palm branches turning to death in just five days to a dead tree. But Jesus cannot help but bring life even in his death. Because, friends, Easter is coming. The resurrection is coming that will forever change the world and puts us and everyone on a path to restoration and healing like we have never experienced before. Friends, by his wounds, we are healed. Let's pray together. Lord God, we confess there are days we are consumed with the ideas that we are not good enough, that you could never forgive us, that it is too late for us. May your Holy Spirit remind us it is never too late for any of us. All it takes is the smallest bit of faith in your Son to send us on a journey of hope, healing, and wholeness that we never could have imagined. By his wounds, indeed, we are healed. It is in our resurrected Savior's name that we pray together. Amen.